Welcome to episode 106 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Kevin Rail. He's an internationally recognized fitness coach specializing in functional training, core training, three-dimensional movement, motivation, and restorative arts. Additionally, Kevin loves studying history, playing the guitar, and he is the co-founder of Indian Clubs International. I was introduced to Kevin when I was looking for more information on Indian Clubs. Kevin has an impressive amount of knowledge of Indian Clubs benefits for athletes, their history, and more. To learn more about Indian Clubs, head over to IndianClubs.com. Check out Kevin's Instagram at trainer underscore rail and his YouTube is rail abs and you can find all the links in the show notes uh, this was such a great conversation with kevin i'm really excited to be able to dive more into indian clubs it's been very helpful for rehabbing my shoulder and trying to work on my posture for to accomplish my goals in handstands and just overall longevity i mean as a fitness coach I'm really digging Kevin's philosophy, I'm training people to be able to enjoy sports and activities and recreation just in everyday life. I love that because it, for me, it changes the perspective on exercise from a chore to something that makes you feel good, that you can derive an intense amount of pleasure and euphoria from. And you can also use exercise to be able to participate in sports that you may enjoy or explore sports and to do them for the rest of your life. I mean, think about it. I had Brian Bordeaux on like a few episodes ago. Dude's in his 60s and he's doing technically and physically demanding activities like rock climbing, running, um, and setting routes. Those things is, as a as a 24-year-old man, right? Just 24-year-old person are like physically daunting and technically daunting. And I get the adage as I was growing up, you know, as you get older, you get more wise and you have more knowledge, right? Um for most people anyways. But I just I'd never put the two and two together that you could just continually increase your strength, your wellness and your mobility and speed. As you get older. Now I understand there's a, a point of where you start losing your explosiveness, but like these people that I look up to, you know, not like Kevin's not Kevin's not really that old, but like, you know, Brian looking up to him and, and looking up to my friend, Ross Vohan, who's like in his sixties too, running 200 mile races and looking great. Like I want to be just like them. And I feel like using Kevin's, philosophies and perspective on um, fitness I can get myself there without any further ado here's Kevin I study history first of all and I'm a big advocate of having a strong back, a good posture, a strong core, and a mobile, flexible body that can withstand a lot of rigors of stuff that occurs outside in the real world. Mm. So 
to uh, expand on that a little bit, the whole three sets of 10 is, is stupid and dumb in my opinion, <laughs> trying to lift like three times your body weight and any kind of lift is in my opinion, I'm not going to use the word stupid and dumb, but I think it's, it's overrated. Mm. And I think every single one of you out there should be focused on longevity and focused on what can you do in the gym that's going to make you better outside doing the things you like to do outdoors. Mm-hmm. And maybe I, maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I just say that because I live in Park City, Utah, one of the most awesome towns in the world <laughs> and right in the heart of the Rocky mountains. And we're, we, we parkites out here are constantly outside doing something all year round, no matter what, what year it is, whether it's summer or spring or fall or whatever, we're always active. We're always doing something. And the mentality here is, what can I do in the gym that's going to make me better at the stuff I do outside? And whenever I interview someone that, yes, I do interview people that want to train with me. I don't just like train anybody. Mm-hmm. If the chemistry is not there, I say, go, go down to the trainer down the road that wants to do CrossFit. That's not my bag. It's not my gig. Mm-hmm. I'd very say, conscious in your clients. Yeah, I'm very conscious. So if you came to me and said, Hey, I want you to start training me three days a week. I'd be like, great. I'm like, what do you like to do outside? <laughs> and you may look at me puzzled and then you'll be like, well, you know, I really like to kayak and I really like to play lacrosse on weekends. And I really like to, uh, I'm a climber and I like to climb and blah, blah, blah. And you give me a list of all the things you like to do. I'm like, okay. And then in my mind, there's these little gerbils running around doing exercises. And I see the gerbils doing different things and I put it all to, uh, on the paper. And I'm like, all right, well, we need to work on your core. We need to work on your flexibility. We need to work on your ability to hang from a bar. So we're going to do off the ground training, suspension training. We're going to do three dimensional movements on the ground that are also going to be neurologically rich that are going to involve cross body patterns to help improve your brain function. Because when you're hanging from rocks, you've got to make quick decisions on where you're going to put your, your foot or your fingertips to make it up the rock safely. So how can I make you bigger, better, faster, and stronger and safer in all the stuff you're doing outside is that's the question that I have. And then in my mind, I answer those questions and I come up with programming that does that. And for your strength and conditioning, um, programming, is that always been your approach? Were you motivated and driven to, um, to train for strength and conditioning because of your activities or did you stumble on that in later on? I kind of came across it by default when I was younger. I'm going to go all the way back to high school when I started like really getting into lifting weights. And my mantra was I'd get up every single day and I would have to do a minimum of 300 pushups, 300 sit-ups every mm-hmm. single day when I was Ooh. in like ninth, yeah, like ninth grade, 10th grade. Wow. And it wasn't in a row. Don't get me yeah. wrong, yeah. but it was cumulative. And literally I would get out of, I literally, my alarm would go off. I'd roll out of bed. And the first thing I did was as many pushups as I can and as many sit-ups as I can and good sit-ups. So I'd hook my feet under my bed and I would do good quality sit-ups mm. and then I would count them. And I'd be like, all right, I just did 50 of each. I got 250 to go before the day is over. And then I'd go eat breakfast. I'd do a couple more before I leave. I'd add them up and then I'd get home from school and then I would do the same thing. That's what it started at all. And the reason I did that is because I was a big, I'm a huge Dallas Cowboy fan. And Herschel Walker was a phenom and he never lifted a weight in his life until like well into his, his NFL pro career when he was like asked to do it. Wow. It was always, yeah, it was always push up, sit up. And he would do like 1500 each of, the, of those a day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, it was off the charts. There's a, a 30 for 30 special on ESPN about Herschel Walker and his routine. And he was, he would bit, literally run sprints and he would do push-ups and sit-ups and that was it. And he was just naturally big, you know, and bulky, mm-hmm. but that's what he did. And I'm like, he was one of my favorite running backs of all time. And he just crushed it on the playing field. And I'm like, wow, I want to, I want to be just like Herschel Walker. So that's where I got my first impression of, of what to do there. But as time went on, I was always broke back in, I grew up in Northeast Pennsylvania and I'd go to my mom's house. Um, and work out in, in, in her basement. And when I was in high school, me and my brother got this crappy set of DP weights with the, the, the concrete weights, the plastic on them and like the junk. Oh, yeah. 
and the really rickety bench and you're like doing a bench press and it's like wobbling back and forth and you're praying to God it doesn't collapse on you. <laughs> That's where like it started for me. And I just did the basic stupid meathead stuff, you know, bench presses, deadlifts, show up military press, squats, all that kind of stuff. Were you having fun when you were doing that stuff or uh, yeah, you, were. Oh, you yeah. like, you like to train for the sake of training at that point, right? Yes. But, yeah. but there was an alternate, there was an ulterior motive too. I, I always wanted to be a WWE wrestler. So Ooh. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I need to get bigger. I need to get bigger. So it was like, I would eat like everything in sight. I'd eat cupcakes <laughs> and like big new ins and like a can of soda after I get home from school and I go right downstairs and lift weights. And I felt like an elephant was standing on my chest and like I was going to die because I was going into convulsions. Cause I barely breathe because I just had like <laughs> a million grams of sugar and like 50 grams of saturated fat. <laughs> and I'm like, but I got to get bigger. I got to get bigger. And I'm like doing, Rrr. I'm pumping out like bicep curls. And I'm huffing and puffing, sweating like a hostage. <laughs> the end of the world was coming. And that's what like started it all. But then as I got older and realized that the eating junk food wasn't working, I started getting into bridging the gap between proper diet and working out. And that's when it all started coming into form for me. And then I started realizing even at a young age that the, the meathead stuff just wasn't working either. Because even, even like in my early twenties, I'm like, Oh man, I'm just so, I'm so spent and my joints are killing me and blah, blah, blah. There's gotta be a better way. And then fast forward several years later, when I moved out and I lived in my own place, I would still go over to my mom's and work out in her basement using some of those crappy weights. I had to get creative with my workouts because I was, I was trying to save money to, to move somewhere else, which I ended up here in Utah. And that's when I started creating all these different exercises based on leverage and, and doing like things from like a three point plank position with weights and doing like um, side T presses and doing like single leg um, alternating military presses or clean presses. And I started realizing, wow, I'm getting a lot more muscle activation by doing exercises that are where my balance is compromised. And I'm like, there's got to be some validity behind this. So then I started reading books and magazines on functional training before it became a buzzword, before it became interesting. And, and then I just kind of took it from there. And that was my launching pad. And then I started using my, my body weight as a, as a viable source of building strength and lean muscle mass and core strength. And when I started doing that more... I started realizing how much better I was excelling outside at everything I was doing, like biking and hiking and running and sprinting and like climbing trees and you name it. And I was like, wow, I'm like dominating it out here. And all my friends are huffing and puffing and they're, they're like struggling their ass off. I'm oh, sorry. Struggling. No, their butts you're off. fine. Oh, okay. And I'm like, holy crap. I think I got something here. So then I just started, I started studying history a little bit and I had a couple of friends that were into the, the, the history of fitness and exercise. And I went right to the golden era of fitness, which was 1880 to 1920. And back then they would spend two and a half hours minimum working out. And sometimes, yeah, they would spend a whole Saturday day wow. as in people. It was a really big popular thing because they had to be fit for like war, for their jobs, for their wives, for their families. Everything was manual oh, labor wow. back then. Yeah. So they would spend all day at YMCA's and there would be Indian clubs and kettlebells and gymnastic equipment and like ropes hanging from ceilings, really bizarre looking monkey bars and stuff like that. And pummel horses. And if you look at any historical pictures from like a gymnasium from like 1880 to 1920, you're going to see a bunch of this stuff scattered around and there's people everywhere. And there'll be one person spotting one person and the other person practicing a drill. And they would just take turns all day and they'd spot one person would spot, one person would practice. They go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And they'd spend all day doing it. And they had perfect posture. Everybody was lean and muscular. They didn't look fake. They didn't look like they were roided out and there were no injuries. So I'm like, well, what were they doing right? And what were we, what are we doing wrong these days? Everyone's like always jacked up and IT band syndrome and torn rotator cuff and like hip dysplasia and all these different things. And I'm like, they were doing something right. So I started studying the history of fitness a little bit more. And I have some friends who are like really deep into the layers of it, who I was talking to, and they got a lot of knowledge. 
And I'm like, wow, so this is what they did. And that's kind of what they did. Off the ground training, body weight drills, three-dimensional movement, Indian clubs, kettlebells. Um, sometimes they would do like maces and goddess. And that's one thing I specialize in too. And it was all completely different back then. And I'm like, wow, I'm going to take everything I'm learning back there. I'm going to add it to what I've figured out on my own and what I've learned myself in the future days and present days. And I'm going to meld it together into my own style. And that's basically what I've done. So that's wow. kind of like the long answer to my, to your question. How long have all of these, um, I guess these commonplace, uh, exercise modalities been around, like all the way from the barbell to kettlebells and stuff to your knowledge. Kettlebells are, kettlebells are hundreds, hundreds of years old. They started in Russia. They've wow. been around for probably, probably thousands of years. Actually, <laughs> I would go as far back as saying that a kettlebell was originally used as a counterbalance weight at, at markets in Russia, <laughs> way, way, way back in history. And they would put like dry beans or grains and stuff on, on one side of the scale. And then they put the, the kettlebell on the other and it would drop down and it would balance it out. And one pood P O O D was 35 pounds, 16 kilo. Mm -hmm. And it, if you notice kettlebells, most of the time, the companies still have them listed in kilos and pounds at the same time. And the reason why the kilos are there is it's a traditional thing that originated from Russia. And a lot of people don't know this. And one, one pood was 16 kilo, two pood was 32 kilo, et cetera. So if you can lift like a three pood kilo, that's like a, you're a, you're a, you're a beast. That's strong. Yeah. And so when someone says three pood, I got, oh, that's nothing. I'm like, yeah, try it. That's 16, you know, that's, that's 32, that's 40, whatever it is, 48 pounds or something like that. So back in the day, that's, that's where it all started. And then the, the, the rumor has it one day when the markets were being torn down, these two workers got into an argument and one of them grabbed the kettlebell and he whipped it between his legs and threw it at the other guy. And then he missed him and then he picked it up and he threw it back at him. And after like an exchange of five times, they got exhausted and they had their hands on their legs and they're huffing and puffing. And they look at each other like, wow, that's actually a good exercise tool. So <laughs> the rumor has it that that's how it had it developed into an exercise tool. And then the Russian military adapted it and they started using it in their military services. And they're saying that that's one of the reasons why the military was so strong for Russia too. So wow. Yeah, that's, that's where it kind of kicked off with the kettlebells. And then they kind of originated, they just went on through the years and they were hugely popular overseas. And it wasn't until I would say the, the late nineties that they even were made a mark in America. And in the early two thousands is when they kind of exploded here and they've been popular ever since, but I love kettlebells and they're a transformational tool. In my opinion, nothing is, nothing comes close as far as transforming the body is concerned. So that's definitely a mainstay in my workouts all the time, all year. Yeah. What do you... What about bodyweight exercises um, makes you prefer bodyweight exercises over um, using like, you know, uh, a lot of weight on the barbell, for instance, when it comes to your strength and conditioning routines? Well, for me, I love the creativity that you can create with the body. There's so many things you can do beyond push-ups and sit-ups and dips that it's not even funny. I do a lot of three-dimensional movements. For example, myself and, and what I put my clients through for, would be an exercise would be a a single leg hand walk push up, log roll, all rolled into one. So basically, Ooh. you stand on one foot, you raise your arms above your head. So you're kind of like in a yoga pose. Then you bend down and you walk your hands forward with your leg elevated still. You do a push up and then you kick that leg over your body and you do a log roll to the other side. Then you hand walk yourself back up, lift your other leg, lift your arms up, walk yourself back down, single leg, push up, log roll the other way, walk back up a single leg. So, oh. Okay, so you just worked pretty much every muscle in your body and your core. And you're on one foot, so you have to balance. And then you have to remember what your rep count is. And because you're doing a rotation, you're also doing a crossbody pattern too. So you just mm -hmm. fired up your brain through the, through the roof. And if you did that like 
five times each direction, your heart is going to be going heart, your heart rate is going to go through the roof and you're going to get cardio too, all rolled into one. So that creativity right there is what I specialize in. And you can't do that with a barbell. You can lift a barbell in linear planes or like you can do some compound exercise and stuff, but that's about all you got. You're pretty limited. Mm-hmm. But I like that. I like freestyling it. And I, I like to be able to recruit as much muscle fiber as I can. And I like to move the body through as many ranges of motion as possible with as many drills as possible. And that's what creates a really solid, sturdy body. And that's also what preps you for any kind of threat outside as well. And, and an example of threat is if you're running on a trail and all of a sudden you, you, you click your foot on a rock or root that you didn't see and you start stumbling forward. If you practice in the gym, those really complex movement patterns I just described, you're going to be able to correct yourself a lot quicker and easier than if you didn't practice them. And you may take a nosedive and break your nose or break a wrist or break an arm and fall. But if you're prepped for it, you're going to rebalance yourself and you're going to escape danger. And here in Park City, we have massive winters. So I'll give you an example for the winter. You're walking down Main Street, talking to your friends or texting someone and saying, hey, meet me at the No Name Saloon at blah, blah, blah clock. And then all of a sudden you, you step on a patch of ice you didn't know was there. And boom, you slip and bang. Your body is like, because you have all those unbalanced three-dimensional movement patterns, your body is proprioceptively rich to foster that load. And then bang, you save yourself and you don't fall. But if you're just like schlubbing it at the gym and doing like five sets of five of deadlifts and bench press and whatever in a linear plane, you're not going to have that same proprioceptive awareness and you risk injury. So safety first with everything. Injury prevention is critical. It's, I've kind of found myself pursuing something similar, similar to that, that way of looking at like exercising, right. Is to be able to increase your, improve your resilience and your longevity um, by increasing your strength, stability, and your range of motion, because I would be running and getting into ultra running and I roll my ankles and I go off on a tangent like, Oh, well maybe I don't have proper or good enough ankle stability. So then I should probably look at I'm doing pistol squats. Cause you know, I was doing squatting for a few years and I was thinking that, Oh, if I do my single leg balance, then I should be more resilient and less likely to get uh, rolling my ankle. And, and then I would build my, uh, I would program my exercises based off of that when I'd see like a weakness, like if I get a calf, um, injury, right. Or my calf's really sore, for instance, then I would start programming based around that as well. And uh-huh. for me, almost what it sounds like for you, when you had that creative element in designing your workouts, like it was even more exciting for me because I was able to like express myself and almost, you know, solve problems more than just like hitting a PR. Cause the PR is yeah. like, I, I love doing that, but then I plateaued with that after a while. Like, yeah. you know, it was just a number, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got the right idea. And I pretty much the, the way that I work is it's all encompassing. So everything I do covers all those bases you mentioned, and it, it works flexibility and balance and joint stability and strength and whole nine yards. And I would also highly suggest if you want to have stronger ankles, just get yourself a, a minimalist shoe. I don't mm-hmm. know what kind of shoes you wear, but I'm, I'm a barefoot specialist too. And I do education on that. And mm-hmm. specifically, specifically barefoot running. It's one of my specials. Oh, really? Yeah. People are always ask me like, did I see you run a barefoot up main street the other day? <laughs> the summertime, I'm like, I see the people like parties or like events. I'm like, yeah, that was me. They're like, wow, that's like, that's amazing. And I'm like, well, I don't, it doesn't even register. I've been doing it so long. It's just another day at the office for me. And I'm like, I, I just love barefoot fitness. And, and it's one of the most, underrated things i think in the face of the earth and if you get yourself adapted to a point where you have like a one millimeter shoe which is what i wear at the gym mm-hmm. i would be barefoot if i was allowed to be barefoot but i'm not allowed to be in our gym so i get away i have a loophole so i wear these one inch one millimeter shoes that are they're so thin it's like a sock and mm-hmm. it's like a hard rubber sole but it's like it's so flexible it's like you know i could just ring it i could 
roll both shoes up and put them in my pocket. They're that flexible. Yeah. So in the summer, I never wear shoes. I just bring them with me. I, I drive barefoot. I do everything I possibly am allowed to do barefoot, barefoot in the summer. And then I just take my shoes with me. If I go into Whole Foods, I drive there barefoot. I walk up to the door and then I slip my, they're like slippers. I slip them on. I go in, I come out, I take them off. I go right back home. And oh. at the gym, yeah, at the gym, I do the same thing. And then when I run, it's barefoot or bust. Cause mm-hmm. I, I don't like wearing shoes when I run this summer and the fall and the winter, I don't really run much outside, but if I do, obviously I have to wear shoes, but I'll wear like a flat sole shoe, like a Vans or, um, um, Converse or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I think under general circumstances, if anybody out there listening wants to get better ankle mo- mobility and stability at the same time, then I highly suggest you work your way down to a minimalist shoe for your gym workouts. Mm. And it automatically your body will just adapt and then start incorporating a little more single leg stuff too. Instead of doing like standing bicep curls or two feet, alternate between standing on each foot. Do like single leg remand deadlifts are ama- like there's an awesome combo I do with, with a, a single kettlebell. If you just hold it in one hand, do a reverse lunge with your right leg, hold the kettlebell in your right hand. And then when you step forward, plant your right foot and then do a single leg remaining deadlift. And then put your foot right back and then repeat that series like five times and then switch hands and do the same on the other side. Just that alone right there. If you did that twice a week, you're going to notice a huge transfer effect in anything you do outside. Your ankle mobility and stability are both going to go through the roof. And you're going to feel so much more solid if you're, if you're biking or hiking or anything else. And also slack lining barefoot is amazing too. For the really? Whole uh, yeah. Amazing. Oh, amazing. Wow. Yeah. I noticed a huge effect, a huge crossover effect with slack lining and biking this past summer. I really paid attention to it. Um, at the beginning of summer, when it started getting nice here, I was doing a, a heavy dose of slack lining. I hopped on my mountain bike and I felt solid as a rock. I was like, just like, I was just carving through the trails, like nothing, like nobody's business, like butter. So wow. I feel it. Yeah. Slack lining is a, is a whole different world. If you've never done it, I highly suggest you give it a spin. Have you ever done it? I've uh, done it once or, or twice now. Yeah. It's a yeah, different world. I, I want to get a slack line. Yeah. It's, it's so much fun too. And I was, I thought that I had, you know, marginal balance able to do like the uh, single leg, like uh, forward folds and stuff yeah. and the standing splits. And then in the pistol squats without a problem. And then I get on the slack line and I'm like, I can't, I can't do this at all. Like this is fun. I, I got so much like skill to learn here. Yeah. I don't, I'm not, I'm not fancy on the slack line at all. You'll never see me doing tricks and doing pistols and like turns and all these crazy things people do, but I'm mm-hmm. efficient and I'm able to walk back and forth. And that's good enough for me. And that's really all you ever need to do on a slack line. And I've schooled so many people. I set it up behind a, we have this outdoor playground at our gym. Mm-hmm. And in the summer, I'll set it up and I'll just go out there and I'll start walking back and forth. And then, uh, you know, hot shots come up to me all the time. Like, oh, that looks like fun. Let me give it a spin. And I'm like, oh, sure. Come on up. And they get up there and they're like, boom, 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 boom. They just keep falling <laughs> off. Yeah. They can't even take a step. Not one oh, gosh. step. It's hilarious. Yeah, that's and, a, like, <laughs> and that's how it's been for me. It's like, I've gotten like two steps. I'm like, this is hard. And I was addicted to, like, <laughs> yeah. I love, cause I, I love it when there's like, you know, that, that level of challenge I found even with handstands is it's for me, it was weird when I was younger from an outsider's point of view, I'm like, well, why would someone want to spend like six months or, you know, a few years working these handstands? Like, how could that be fun? And then I find myself like spending so far like a year working on my handstand. And it's like, I could, I could do this for the rest of my life. Like one arm handstands and doing flags and stuff. Oh, it's like, yeah. it never ends. Yeah, totally. And <laughs> Funny you mention those because I've been working on them. October will mark the two-year anniversary. I've been working on handstands myself. Oh, and I wow. still I still have them nailed. I'm not, <laughs> I don't dedicate enough time to them. There's only so many hours in a day. And I'm 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 like 
you know, I'm, I'm the biggest multitasker on the face of the earth. So I like, I have to get my Indian clubs in. I got to get my gotta practice in. I got to get my kettlebell work in. I got to get all these other things in. And it's like, and then slacklining in the summer. So it's like handstands always get pushed to the end. I'm doing handstand pushups right now in my program, my, my current monthly program with my feet on a wall. And I always aspire to like put as little effort on the wall as possible. That's always the goal. Yeah. The handstand pushup. But I think after this month, I'm going to, I'm going to get back to practicing. I have it. My good friend, Sonia is a, she's a wizard with, um, uh, handstands and we've exchanged videos and I've been teaching her some meeting clubs and kettlebell stuff over the year, two years. And she's been teaching me handstand stuff and she's, she's amazing wow. at it, but I've been working on it. And you know, I'm six, three, so I got long arms, long limbs, long legs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm built perfectly for like width and thickness wise. I'm perfect for handstands and yeah. core strength, but I just don't, I got long limbs. So that, that's like my big thing. It's like, it's like a big Oak tree when I'm trying to go upside down. Oh, wow. Big old lever. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and I struggle with a lot of drill. Like there are a lot of exercises that I find challenging because of my long limbs and stuff, but I love my height and I would never, I would never change it for anything, but handstands are, I'm definitely going to own those eventually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Within really time. Yeah. <laughs> all in due time. Mm-hmm. And I like the the emphasis almost you, you put on play with your exercises because when I was approaching exercise for the sake of fitness originally, yeah. like, um, I, I couldn't tell. It was almost like uh, quitting smoking in some sense. Like every time I'd go up and try, it only last for like a few months and then I just burn out and there was no like sense of meaning associated it or associated with it, you know? And yeah. like, what, but when I started to to put an emphasis on play for me, it took doing an activity first, like uh, martial arts, for instance, it's yeah. like, well, I want to be more fit for martial arts. And then through that, I learned how to play and exercise, but without that component, you know, it, it wasn't, it's just a chore. And that's like the dialogue that I have with like people who, who aren't, um, who don't do a lot of athletics. Right. Yeah. That's kind of what I get from the vocabulary is like, you know, exercise is a chore. And I'm like, you see these kids that, you know, I'm in a school setting, for instance, like you see these kids on the playground, they're playing tag and stuff. They're exercising and there. There's ways to structure your life where you hit all those points, but you're like, you're wanting to be there and showing up and pushing yourself and you know, all of that. You don't have to be a meathead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree totally. And um, that's one of the big detriments of exercise that people fear is it being boring or arduous or like uh, long winded or like grueling and stuff. And it never, ever has to be the case. It can always be fun. Every workout can and should be fun. You should play sometimes in the summer. I'll drive my car out to a park and I'll just take like, I'll choose five tools. I'll get like a kettlebell, a pair of hitting clubs, a gata, my sand bells, and um, in my rip trainer. And I'll set them up at the park in the grass or like hang, hook one onto an anchor. And then I'll just go right around the circle and I'll just create a different exercise. And I'll just, it'll be my second workout of the day or third one. And I'll just do something. I'll be like, all right, kettlebell, I'm going to do three Turkish get-ups each side. So bang, 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 I'll pop them out. Then I'll come to the rip trainer. I'm like, I'll do 20 pitchforks each side and 20 rows. Bang, bang, bang. Then I come to the sand bell. I'm like, oh, I just did two like high intense exercises. So I'm going to do some teacups right now to just loosen things up. So I'll do some kind of groovy move with the sand bell. And then I'll go to the gata and I'll do three sixties or I'll do 10 twos or I'll do squats or something. And then I just, and then I'll come around, I'll keep coming around it and I'll keep trying to create something new every time I come around until I feel gassed or I have to go. And it's mm-hmm. so much fun. It's like, you just keep on stretching yourself and you become more creative every time you go around. Yeah. And that's the fun part and the element of exercise that we need to take into consideration. It doesn't have to suck. It doesn't have to be sitting on a machine doing brainless chest presses on, mm-hmm. on a pneumatic arm 
that's not really going to help you in real in the real world. You, there's a million ways to work the chest. There's a million ways to work the legs and the core and the abs. And there's a million other exercises than crunches. I can't even remember last time I did just plain old crunches. It's been decades. And people are always asking me, that's, that's the biggest question I get from people like, dude, how do you get so ripped? How can I get a six pack like you? And I'm like, well, first thing first is don't do crunches. And I say, secondly, you have to start doing fasting. And then third, you got to start doing kettlebells. And if you do that and follow my secret sauce, you could probably get in the same shape I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> and then people are like, you know, it's like, it's like mommy just hit daddy. And it's like, Mel's just drop open. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's how it works, man. That's how we roll in my neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Special is kettlebells, man. Like when I got into kettlebells, cause I couldn't go into the gym and, you know, work barbells, like it just opened up for me. Cause you know, it just became such a creative expression, whether it was like juggling or doing like a lot of, you know, just uh, strict lifting through kettlebells. And I, I loved it so much, man. Yeah. It, it, there's, I mean, anything you do with barbells or dumbbells, you can, you can work the same muscles with kettlebells plus with an exponent of five because mm -hmm. they're just so, they're just so versatile. I mean, you can, you can work in ballistics and grinds and like holds, carries racks. I mean, there's so many different things in so many different ways. It's, it's endless. You can yeah. have thousand, you can have a hundred years of workouts with just one kettlebell alone. Even never, <laughs> never mind doubles, get doubles and just double it. <laughs> Yeah. Thousand years, you know? And I liked it too. Cause it felt like, you know, for me, I, I bought, I bought the kettlebell that I can manage. I started out with the, um, 32 pounds. So probably 35, probably the 35. Yeah. 16 kilos. Yeah. 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 And then I, then I would move up and I, and I got a, um, a 50 pound kettlebell. Okay. And then just as I, so essentially as I, I would be able to do like the, like the push presses, with, yeah. uh, um, with the 50 pound. And then when I was able to do the push presses consistently, then I just, you know, you'd hit the progression and then strict presses and then buy a new kettlebell or get into juggling with trying to juggle a heavier bell. And like, it was so cool because that relationship was like, I don't know, especially like having it, knowing I'd keep the kettlebell for the rest of my life kind of thing. Yeah. It felt more personal and more exciting for me. Yeah. But yeah. And it's also kettlebells are very neurologically rich too. So the word neurological load transfers to the brain. So basically neurons are being fired up. So let's, let's give you an example. If you come train with me and say, okay, well, I want you to train me. I'm like, all right, what do you want to work on today? I want to work on buys and tries. Let's do the seated bicep curl. And I just go, oh, first of all, I would groan. And I'd be like, that's not how I roll. Go, go to Joe, Joe Smith down the street. Cause that's not what I do. I don't, <laughs> I don't deal with machines unless it's a mandatory must for a client. If it's an elderly client who has a compromised balance issue or someone who has a broken leg or something great, we'll do machines. Otherwise, People know what they're getting when they come to me. They come to me for my special specialties and machines are not. But if you were to sit on a machine and just do this, that's a linear pattern and it's brainless and it's boring. And there's zero going on up here, zero activation going on here. It's so simple. You don't have to think about it. If you're doing a stand up bicep curl with dumbbells, you have to think a little bit more, but still not a ton. Now, if you're doing a complex movement pattern where I have you hold the dumbbell in your hand in your right hand, stand on your right foot with your left leg, off the ground. And then I have you lower it down and do a single leg remaining deadlift, lift it up and then do a press, tuck it back in and repeat. You have a lot of elements going on. If I have you step backwards into a lunge, step forward, lift your left leg, then do a press, then do a single leg remaining deadlift. You got like four elements you got to think about <clears throat> and you're crossing the midline of your body. So when you come, when you combine complex movement with a cross body pattern, this gets fired up like a Christmas tree, your computer, your brain. So I try to encompass everything together, including better core strength, better posture, better movement ability and brain function all rolled into one with a lot of drills that I do on a personal level and the way that I train people too. So I want people to think a lot of what they're doing. It's very similar to dancing 
and learning dance steps. And it's very similar to playing an instrument. I'm a musician too. Mm-hmm. So when you got to make changes on an acoustic guitar, you got to really think about what you're doing. And that's what the practice is all about. And you got to know where your fingers are going, how many times to strum it, go to the next chord, go to the next chord. When I play the bass, it's the same thing. I'm going to A, I'm going D, I'm going G, I'm going E, and I got to remember everything. And I got to do this hand and this hand at the same time, but they're both doing two different things. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of brain activation involved with playing a musical instrument. So workouts can be done the exact same way. A lot of complex movement and doing cross-body patterns through the midline of the body translate to tons of brain function and tons of neurons being fired up in the brain like a Christmas tree. And that is one of the keys to longevity and reversing the aging process and reversing the risk for Alzheimer's, dementia, and any kind of brain-related issue. Ooh. Boom. And that's why Indian clubs are so brilliant because you got to come across the midline of the body like this, and then you pop your clubs out. So just the basic heart shape is like this. Crossing the midline of your body, complex movement, and then you got to remember to change your front arm every time you come around when you're doing a heart shape, just the mm-hmm. basic heart shape. So you got all, this, all these elements going on, and you're pulling your shoulders back. So you're getting good range of motion in your shoulders. You're going to improve your posture. You're going to make your shoulders bulletproof to injury. And you're firing up the brain all rolled into one. And that's one of the reasons why I love Indian clubs so much. Wow. And so it's more than just like brute strength, right? There is no brute strength involved in Indian clubs. It should never be about brute strength. They're not about that at all. They're a restorative tool. Mm-hmm. It's, it's called a restorative arts tool. And that's basically to bring back the function of the wrist, the elbow, and the shoulder all rolled into one while also improving brain function. That's what Indian clubs are for. And that's why they used them back in the day. It was for good posture. It wasn't necessarily to like build any kind of massive strength you mm-hmm. by default i mean if you get up to like a five pound indian club yeah you're going to get some grip strength and forearm strength but i never suggest going that heavy with indian clubs it should be more of a graceful art form than than like beefcake stuff mm-hmm. and to just be devil's advocate you look so healthy and fit why would you need to do something restorative because i want to stay on the top of my game and i'll tell you why i integrate the indian clubs if i do a um let's say i'm doing a clean double clean and press with kettlebells i'll do a set of five reps. Okay. As soon as I park the kettlebells, I build up lactic acid. My shoulders are burning. I grab the Indian clubs and I do a set of 10 outward heart shapes, lactic acid gone in seconds. They speed Mm. my recoveries up. Secondly, the circular motion of the clubs circles, spirals, and figure eights are money. That's something else that I specialize in and no one else thinks about when you're doing a circular motion, pulling a joint through like this, and you get that little bit of Indian club weight here, when you Mm. cast it out, it pulls your arm into, into, um, not traction. Yeah. Traction. It is basically. So if you're hanging upside down with, with, um, gravity boots on, you get traction and you, you create separation inside the, the facets in your spinal column. So you're basically building better flexibility by doing inversion. Mm-hmm. So similar in a similar lieu of that, when you do a circular motion and you cast your Indian club out like this, the weight of the club is out here and it kind of pulls your arm out this way. So it creates a tiny bit of space inside your shoulder capsule allowing nutrient-rich blood flow to come in there, which is very healing. So it expedites your recoveries. It strengthens the microfibers inside the joint, making them stronger and more resilient to injury. And it also helps rebuild tissue as well and get you past injuries that you had before previously quicker. Mm-hmm. So you get all those benefits. And then if you want to do your, your, you know, your meat hook beefcake workouts and, and do your like 500-pound de- deadlifts, and you're doing Indian clubs, it's going to make your joints stronger to withhold, to withstand those stresses and pressures that you're going to put upon your joints as well. Mm-hmm. So I highly suggest Indian clubs for everybody, anyone who's able-bodied or like not, highly suggest them. And it keeps your posture good too. So that's why a, a fit rib dude like me uses Indian clubs. <laughs> <laughs> and what resources do you recommend for the audience to learn more about Indian clubs? 
Um, Paul Terras Bokovinsky is a good friend of mine. He lives out in Australia. He is one of the experts on the tools. We've done workshops together. And we did a tour back in the fall with our friend uh, Kelly Manzoni. And she's out on the East Coast in Connecticut. Paul is amazing. He has a website. I believe it's called IndianClubs.au, if I'm not mistaken. And just look him up on YouTube. He's got a wealth of videos and stuff like that. And he's, he's got some really good chops when it comes to Indian clubs. He knows them really well. He knows the history. He knows about the pummels and, the, and like the shafts and everything about the clubs. And I would say he's probably like the authority in the world on Indian clubs. Arguably, I'm like, I'm not going to toot my own horn. I'm, I'm probably in like maybe the top five in America when it comes to Indian clubs and knowledge of them. <laughs> but I'm, I, mean, I mean, I dedicate so many hours to Indian club training. It's not even funny. But Paul is like, he's the man. So it's Paul Terras, T-A-R-A-S, Volkovinsky, W-O-L-K-O-W-I-N-S-K-I. Look him up. He's and the then I'll, I'll be sure to leave a link to his Instagram. I believe he has an Instagram yes. in the show notes and then also to his website. Yes. Um, and yep. It's what's fascinating me is because like you spent so much time from what I can tell anyways, and I don't, you know, I can see on Instagram and then just learning about your work um, on Indian clubs and and I've been getting into them over the past like six months and I'm falling in love with them. But when I describe it to someone who's like, you know, jujitsu athlete or like a climber, I'm like, these, these things are awesome. And like, do I get, do I get jacked? It's like, no, but like the quality of movement and your posture, it's just, it's awesome. And, and range of motion has been like very important to me. Um, and also though the proprioception um, or knowing the awareness of where my body is at in space, if yes, I have yes. that definition, correct. is like, is something that, that I found important because I have very little time and I like a lot of things, uh, you know, between climbing and running and jujitsu. And it's like, how can I, how can I train to be effective in all of those things? Um, as much as I can. And that's, you know, with Indian clubs, I found it translates so well from climbing to jujitsu and especially with jujitsu. Cause like a lot of athletes in jujitsu and also climbing, they get like the knuckle dragger effect to where their shoulders start rolling forward. Yeah. And I'm so afraid of that. Cause I see people who are my seniors and like, that's I, whatever I can do to be healthy and to maintain my consistency would I believe will provide me a more fulfilling experience, you know? Yes, totally. And Indian clubs are absolute game changers for all those modalities you just mentioned. And they were used by martial artists back in, in history too. They were very popular oh, oh. because no. of all the, the striking and the movements. A lot of the movements with Indian clubs are based off of those exact patterns in those movements. And then you go like in a sagittal plane, you come forward and you do like different moves with them that translate to like Chinese stick fighting and stuff like that. And oh. Yeah. And then you can do like um, head reels and wrist reels and stuff like that, where you're like whipping them around like this and like your wrists get really activated and all that stuff is super good. And it translates across to martial arts. And like you were saying, I know there's a ton of runners and triathletes and bikers here in my town in Park City. And a lot of them are just like super rounded and whatever you call the white knuckles or drag knuckles or whatever mm -hmm. like that. And Indian clubs just fix all that. So it's like, I, I can't stress enough to anyone listening out there. All of you should be using it. Everyone should be using them. And, and like desk workers who sit for long periods of time should be using them. And I mean, I'm telling you, you learn how to use Indian clubs and all you need is at two o'clock in the afternoon when you're feeling stress in your neck and your traps and all that stuff. And you get up and you're like, oh, I'm so sore. I better go get a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. All you gotta do is grab a pair of Indian clubs, 30 seconds, boom, 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 boom. Heart shapes, brain is activated instantly. Shoulders feel better, neck feels better and you feel like a brand new person. Mm -hmm. So the practical application goes farther than the gym floor and 
farther than out in a park somewhere. It's like across the board. So it's like, I want, I want to see like all of America have Indian clubs in their hands and I will happily train everyone in America on how to use them properly too. <laughs> I love that, man. And there's, there's something that's just fascinating about the Indian clubs um, and also ballistics exercises, which was uh, when I was going into athletics um, without much experience in my youth, it'd be very like robotic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And with like striking and stuff, it was super evident. And my day to day life, it wasn't very obvious though. But then when I was lifting with the barbell, um, it didn't really lend itself to very fluid movement. And yeah. as I was getting into, um, like clubs, animal flows, honestly, at the time it was yoga. Cause clubs is like a, a newer thing for me, but, yeah. um, I was learning to like flow in my body and not be so like herky jerky and tense all the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, it just opened things up for me. And that kind of changed my, for me, that was my uh, transition to like, okay, bigger isn't always better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lean muscle mass trumps all in my opinion, having Mm -hmm. a strong back and keeping yourself out of pain and keeping yourself as fit as you can, as long as you can, as, as you get older is so important. It's unbelievable. And to all your young bucks listening out there, the 22 to 30 year olds, Right now you're in the gym with your buddies and you're trying to max, max your bench press and stuff and your deadlifts and all that. And I see it every day. And I, I'm begging you to reconsider your approach because 30 years from now, when you cross the 50 year old mark, you're not going to be happy with yourself. You're going to regret every single thing you've done in the gym. If you're, if you focus on the beefcake stuff all the time and trying to meet PRs all the time, you are grinding your joints to a pulp. And at the very least, just learn how to use Indian clubs to try to help refresh your joints. But I'm telling you, all of my clients that are 50 plus all complain about it and they regret every single move they made back in their twenties and thirties because it was all about the weight and the maxing out and all that stuff, but you're proving nothing. You know, the only time that's ever going to apply in real life is if you're um, driving down the road in the winter and you see someone stuck in a ditch in a car and you, you, you assist to try to help push them out. And that happens once every, once every 10 years, maybe if you're lucky, but that really heavy beefcake stuff, it just has no practical application to me outside. Not even for athletes. I mean, I train, kids that are like high school age, 16, 17, who are, are on the path to be like Olympic skiers. And they're doing like super G's and all this stuff. And they tell me about what their dryland training is like. And I just, I shake my head. I'm like, I can't believe your coaches have you do this stuff. It's, it's pathetic. <laughs> and it's all like heavy beefcake stuff. And it's like fashioned off of CrossFit. And I'm like, you're too young. I'm like, your epiphyseal plates haven't even closed yet. You're still growing. <laughs> I'm like, you need to have, I don't care about all those centripetal forces and stuff. Yeah, I get it. You want to have heavy weight on your back to like, transfer across when you're doing like these really deep tucks and you're going like 60 miles an hour down a hill. But what you want to have is rotary strength and you want to have strength in compromised positions in case your, your ski should happen to buck up in the air when you're going down and you have to correct yourself on one foot. Mm-hmm. Doing all that groundwork with regular shoes on, by the way, is going to impede your, your progress when you're going down a hill. And if your ski gets kicked up in the air because of a rut, you're not going to be, you're not going to have the proprioceptive awareness to, to garner that load and you're going to be screwed. I don't care how much you could back, you could bench press or back squat. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do a single leg drill, like the one, one I described earlier, and you do that under slight load and you do that coming down the hill and your, your ski bucks up in the air, you're going to be like, boom, and you're going to be solid as a rock on one foot because we mm-hmm. trained that way in the gym. So that is what people should start thinking about and gripping. And that's what I try to educate people on. Think outside the box. Think about how you can make yourself better to preserve your body, to reverse the aging process, to avoid injuries and to be graceful and lean and, and just happy as you go forward in life. Mm-hmm. So in most sports that, that I've gotten into or have friends, you know, that I talk, talk to their experiences and they're given sports about, um, technique, except in running yeah. technique is uh, often like, you know, held as paramount, right? Like the, yeah. 
the mo- the thing that you should focus on, you know, more than strength and strength is important, but like in jujitsu, they're always like, don't muscle through it, focus on technique, climbing, like climb like an old man. Right. Yeah. And, uh, um, I'm curious with proprioception, right? Like these things that developing the movement patterns that basically target your, um, make your brain fire so that you build new neurological pathways. Like yeah. to, in your opinion, would that apply to more technique? And then it would just, just pure, like, you know, strength feats. And if it were to apply to more technique, then wouldn't it be more applicable to actually learning a sport for the individual? Yes. I think it's uh, definitely applies more to technique and there, there's this thing called sports specificity mm-hmm. and you can't beat actually doing the sport that you're playing and practicing with good technique and quality. Mm-hmm. But there are things you can do that are supplementary to that, that are going to help you excel in that direction. And that's what all the compromised, you know, foot drills and stuff like that. I was talking about before and doing things on like one hand and one leg and from a plank position. And then like, fall, like going onto your stuff, like there's this drill I did with my, my two, uh, they're twins actually skiers. And they're, they're, they really excel at it right now. And they go to the, the, the we have like a, it's reverse here in park city. We have a mm-hmm. summer school that a lot of, a lot of kids go to summer school here. And then in the winter they're on the hill skiing because they're mm-hmm. trying to become, get into like the world cup and all this stuff. Oh, wow. so I have, yeah. I have these two stud kids I've been training and they're awesome. And I had them do this drill yesterday where I have them lie on their back and they do like a sit up and then they put their hands on the ground and they sweep their legs around. They go onto their stomach and they do a press up and they do a, like a back, a back bend. Oh yeah. Then they come down and they sweep their legs back. They go back in a sit up, come up and then they sweep the other way and they come up to a back bend and then go back and they go back and forth. So that right there is an example of an applicable exercise that's going to help them proprioceptively and it's going to strengthen their core in a compromised position. And they have, it's because they're, they're turning sideways, it's going to help their rotational ability too. When they're on the hill and then when they're, they're doing like side traversing and stuff like that. So I, I, I invent things by watching the sport itself. And I'm like, what can I do to make this athlete better at what they do? I'm like, oh, I can do hip swivel planks too, where I can have them stand, get into a downward facing dog position and then just swivel their hips back and forth like this. Mm-hmm. And then go into a pendulum plank where they kick one leg out to the side and the other one out to the side and do it right back to back. To, so they build up endurance, muscle endurance at the same time. So I do things like that. And I pair things together and that kind of has a transfer effect over to what you were just talking about, because it's kind of like technique based and it's not on the hill. And then when they go on the hill, it will be an easy transfer effect when they actually do their sport. That's really cool. And yeah. See, and I found it interesting when I was trying to do jujitsu without much experience with proprioception in the sense that I wouldn't do anything that would engage like cross body movement, right? Like even moving my left hand or my left foot forward and my right foot forward was something that I wouldn't do like in unison. Right. So when they're trying to explain um, a move, like this is how to do an arm bar, right? You get on mount with both your legs around your opponent and then walk your knees up so that their arms go and stick up straight into the air and then swivel your hips around it, clamp your knees and then pull back. And like, I just remembered pull back. Like I, like all of that just went through one ear out the other. And then to even implement that physically in like physical space was like so challenging for me. And I started to realize that like, I just didn't have the proprioception um, because I haven't been, I haven't uh, built those neurological pathways. Right. Like I just did yeah. PE in school basically. And, yeah, right. and that sent me on a really cool pathway because I was, as I learned like for trail running and stuff like that, um, where I could do work in a general sense so that I would have better proprioception and that's the single leg balances and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So for a very, for a general athlete who who's into like, you know, maybe the outdoors or, um, or martial arts, um, 
What would be like a recommended routine? Somebody who hasn't done, who doesn't have an extensive experience in uh, strength and conditioning. I would say start with the basics. Don't get too fancy. Learn how to move well first before you start adding load. I would learn some body weight drills first. And more than just, like I said, push-ups or dips, learn how to squat properly. Learn how to do a goblet squat with your legs kind of spaced wide apart with your toes facing at an angle. Deep goblet squat with your elbows inside your, your thighs. Put your hands on the ground and then walk forward with your hands. Then do a push-up. Walk backwards, stand back up and do drills like that. So you're doing a complex compound drill. And then learn how to do log rolls. So you start in a plank position, roll your body all the way around, roll your body back the other way. And then come back up, walk back down, log roll, log roll, come back up. So complex moves, moves like that first, because they will encompass a lot of things and they will help improve your posture. They will help improve your shoulder stability and flexibility. They will improve your core strength, your leg strength, and all these different things. And it'll show that you have physical literacy. Then you can start adding in your more of your beefcake stuff if you want to build general strength. And I'm not saying that you should never do beefcake stuff. I do some beefcake stuff myself, but it's not my primary focus or my primary goal. And I don't care about how much I can bench press. I, I know how much I can. And I try to like work my way up to it when I go through micro cycles, but I never like chart it. I never write it down. I'm never like, oh, I got to get to 250. I got to get to 275. I got to get to 300. It's never about the weight for me. It never was. People ask me sometimes still like, how much can you bench press, bro? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. And I don't care. <laughs> and I never will, I never will aspire to do any more than I want to do. And if I can do my body weight, great. And if I can't, so what? Mm. If I get a good, if I get a good workout, I build my chest, I get strong. That's, that's fine. That's good enough for me. So master the basics, move, learn how to move well first, then proceed onto your other stuff and like heavy lifts and whatever you want to do. But I highly suggest getting Indian clubs in your hands too. I can't stress that enough. And what other exercise modalities, including the Indian clubs and then just basic movement patterns, would you recommend too? High intensity interval training. I love sprints. I like sprinting up hills. I like finding a hill, doing like a, a 20 minute warm up jog, finding a hill like steep, and then sprint up it straight, jog back down, then go lateral sideways up the hill, jog back down, lateral the other way, jog back down, and then reverse and jog back down and repeat that whole series like 10 times mm. and then finish your run. That stuff speaks volumes. I love it. And why do you prefer the lateral movements? Because nothing in life is linear, although we think it is. There are too many movements in life that, that involve rotation and lateral movements, lateral bending, and movement of the body in, in ways that you're not used to. Because if you train like that and you do the lateral and lateral, and then you go in reverse even, you're hitting all these different points of the body that, that it's not used to. And you always want to go beyond your comfort zone too. So you're going to strengthen your body in ways that it's not used to. So that's going to make you nearly unbreakable out in the real world. If you do happen to trip on the stump that I was telling you about or the rock <laughs> when you're running and you're running sideways and all these different things, you're going to be so much more in tune with your body and able to stop yourself from having a catastrophic injury that it's not even funny in real life. So that's why I say always go in different planes and different angles and do that with all your workouts too. compromise, mm -hmm. compromise the norm as much as possible and go beyond your comfort zone. It can only benefit you. I see that you're into a lot of a variety of sports and just activities in general. So how do you train for those sports for yourself so that you can be most effective? I do a heavy dose of kettlebells. I think they're mm -hmm. the swing, the swing tool for every sport out there. They build core strength and flexibility and range of motion like nothing else. And I notice a transfer effect in everything. I mean, I've played everything from badminton to volleyball, kickball, um, hiking, biking, 
slacklining even. I think they, they apply to make my slacklining even easier. And then slacklining helps all those other things work better too. So I think it's a big smorgasbord of things that the kettlebell helps with. And a lot of people are, are foreign to them still to this day. So that's my take on that. Do you juggle with kettlebells at all? I love it. I love doing partner drills. Mm-hmm. I haven't oh. done it. I, I haven't done it in a while. I haven't done a lot of juggling myself. I do a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. I have these leather. Kettle- Actually, I have one right here. I'll show it to you. This is a leather kettlebell. 10 oh, pounds. That's tight. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got, I've got a 10, a 15 and a 20 pound leather kettlebell. And they're so much fun to do all kinds of circular patterns with and figure eights and go between your legs and, and those in the summertime, I'll do different type of juggling things. I'll do like walking swings where I swing it and I flip it and I catch it with the other hand. I swing it and flip it. And then I'll go into a snatch and I'll swing it and flip it and I'll go into a snatch in the other arm. And they're just, they're just oodles and oodles of fun and they're soft. So you can do like really higher, you can do a lot higher volume and go longer instead of before you get gassed. And I also use these for people that are brand new to kettlebells who are intimidated by them because they're cast iron and like, oh, I, wanna, I don't want to break my arm and blah, blah, blah. These are a lot easier to train people on. So I use them for that application too. But I do love to juggle. I just haven't, I haven't done a ton of it. And now you mentioned, it, I'm going to start adding that back in my programming too, because it's so much fun. But I like, yeah. doing part, I, like I, do, I like doing partner juggling where you do like a swing and you flip it to your partner and they catch yeah, it. Yeah, those partner passes are so cool. I oh, forgot yeah. the guy who, who tours a lot and, and Gus, teaches partner kettlebell passing. Gus, is it Gus Peterson? Yeah. Yeah. That guy's rad. He's the man. He's out in Colorado. I almost got to hang out with him when I was in Colorado back in uh, June when I was coming back home from my, the East Coast tour I was doing with mm-hmm. Paul and my friend Kelly. And we, we just couldn't coordinate the timing because I had to leave the next day and he was busy and stuff like that. I was so, I was so pissed because I wanted to meet up with him, but he's the man with juggling. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll hopefully like, meet him someday. And the partner passing is cool because I see when you work with like people, once again, who, who have um, probably like negative self-talk or they see exercises like a chore, for instance, when yeah. you can inc- include like that partner element, it oh, brings yeah. them back to that play space again. And it's so much fun, man. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's how juggling was uh, for me. It, it like, it really ignited my passion further for kettlebells because juggling was like, I, I would be doing, you know, my, my normal programming. I think it was like simple and sinister at the time. Right. And like, yeah. I'm like, okay, that's enough. And then I'm going to walk away and be done. And I had like five minutes. I'm like, Hmm, I can get some juggling in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I would always like try to find ways to squeeze it in. It was like, I was just yeah. a little kid again, man. That's hilarious. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I loved speaking, it. Speaking of simple and sinister, when I got my strong first certification years ago, Pavel, Pavel Satsaline was my head instructor. Wow. And he, he is so cool. He's like, he's like, a, he's like talking into a mirror. Cause he's like, he's really no nonsense. And he's like, he just gets right down to the point. And he like, he tells it like it is, but he's mm-hmm. like, just blah, 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 blah. He's like real straightforward. And he's just like funny, super sarcastic. And he wears <laughs> like, he wears the Chuck Taylor shoes and stuff. And he like sits in a chair. And he's like talking. And he's like, all right, get up, practice. Let's go. And he's like, <laughs> he's just like chop, chop, chop. You know what I mean? Like military based and oh, super wow. cool guy. Yeah. He was awesome. He was rad. Loved That's him. rad. I would have loved to meet him. <laughs> yeah. He was so cool. And I, I, I was, I've been following him since like the 2000, I think the year was when I first, Oh, that must've meant a lot to you. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. It meant a huge amount to me. That's what all these years. Cause it, he used to be a contributor to this magazine called muscle media. And he was always talking about kettlebells in him and it showed pictures of him doing like pistols with like a 60 kilo kettlebell. <laughs> and I'm like, what on, earth, what on earth is a kettlebell way back in 2000. And he's always talking in all those articles. He's like, you got to get a Russian kettlebell, stop being a wuss and blah, 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 blah. And like, I was laughing so hard. It was unbelievable reading his articles. I'm like, this guy's awesome. So <laughs> I had a bit of a man crush on him. And then years go by, I, I got strong for certified. I met him in person. He was my head instructor and he was awesome. 
but he's like he's so knowledgeable too it's like it's ridiculous it's like it's like he's a professor and (laughs) he really knows his craft really well and he's you know as far as i'm concerned he's probably like the top kettlebell guy in the world i don't really see anyone who even comes close to him yeah and I, I love meeting people like that, even like yourself, right? Who are, who are very passionate about the things that they're doing. Like, yeah, it's, totally. It's all about passion. Yeah, it, it really is. Right. <laughs> and you have like so, so many different interests. Um, and that that's helpful for me because that's where I find myself like very passionate about a variety of things. However, like kind of uncomfortable with for, for me, I'm, I'm not like a nine to fiver in that sense. Yeah. It's like, I really like doing things on my own and figuring out how to make that work. Yeah. And it lends itself to like entrepreneurialship and, you know, stuff like this. Yeah. Totally. And, yeah. Totally. And it's super motivating. Cause you know, I want to, I want to have, um, or that level of fitness that you do, uh, you know, as, as I go along in my life and stuff, and hopefully I'm a role model to my son and all the other kids in that sense, you know? Yeah, of course. But yeah. That's, I think that's, that's great. Yeah. Awesome. And so, so with your, your personal trainer, right? Yes. Um, do you, one do you one do... of the things I do, yeah, I, oh, I wear many hats. <laughs> oh, do you really? Oh, yeah, I do. I wear many hats. Yeah, that's that's rad. What, what have you always known that you're going to be a personal trainer? Were you working up to that? What introduced you to personal training? I I got passionate about fitness when I was probably like I said, like literally 15, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And then it was like just I was I was lifting weights and I want to be a professional wrestler. So. I got to get bigger. I got to get bigger. And I was eating everything inside and drinking a gallon of milk a day and made all the mistakes that idiots make when they're young and stupid and foolish. And I realized there's no way in God's green earth. I'm going to get up to even, I probably won't even break the 200 pound mark. And these guys are like 250. They're bohemists. I had the height, but I just didn't have the ability to get that big. I'm, I'm pretty much a, a hard gainer. So then I completely one year, year, I just flipped the switches and I'm like, well, heck I've got more of a body style that I can get lean and ripped. So maybe I'll go this direction instead. And then I started training that way, changed up my workouts started getting into all the stuff I was telling you about, started getting creative. And I'm like, wow, I'm really digging my body style and like my functional ability and how I feel. And I feel way better than when I was trying to become a beefcake and a meathead. So I went down that road and then I, I, I worked for a glass sculptor actually for like seven years when I got a call. I have a degree in, um, my first degree was in um, building construction technology. Actually, I got an associate. There's, there's a little known fact. I come from a family of carpenters. And when I got out of high school, I went right to a, a trade school. I got a degree in two years, worked in construction for seven years. And at that time, my main goal, that was just like a band-aid for me. It was like, I'm going to be a rock star and we're going to move to New York City and be like the next, the next Ramones. <laughs> and I'm going to be a professional wrestler. Those are my two goals. So wow. I always thought big and I tried to go through the motions, but I had too many things pulling me in different directions where I couldn't focus on either one of those. And I'm like, I came to the realization, I'm not going to get big enough to be a wrestler. So that's out. And I've, our drummers are always turning into jack wads over and over again. Always <laughs> yeah. the drummer for some reason in bands. And then like, yeah, we make a, all this progress. We have all these great songs. We were in a studio recording all the time. I probably recorded 200 songs in my life. <laughs> wow. I was in punk bands ever since I was like 20 years old oh. up until about two years ago. Um, so that all went down and then I'm like, maybe this, this punk rock band thing isn't going to work either just because I, uh, one bad drummer after the next, and I kept getting signs that like, maybe this isn't the thing, but I still play music. And I'm like, Okay. So then I got a job working for a glass sculptor back in Northeast rural, rural Northeast Pennsylvania. I had full benefits, good wage, the whole nine yards. But then I started getting indoctrinated into the Stockholm syndrome. And I'm, I'm like, this is like, in, everyone thinks inside the box here in Northeast PA and I'm, I'm way bigger than this place. And without sounding egotistical, I'm like, I need to make major changes, monumental changes on a global scale. And I need to change a lot of people's lives. And then there's not, there's no snowball's chance in Hades. I'm going to get it done here in Pennsylvania. So I started looking for jobs elsewhere. 
I went and got my degree and uh, I lost my job at the glass sculptor. And that was the best thing that ever happened because that's when I flipped the switches. I got my degree in sport management, fitness and wellness. I got certified through ASACSM, NASM, AFM, Whale Coaches Corporation. I just, I just got, I became drunk with education on fitness and exercise and diet. And that's when I really started turning the switches up. And that's what led me into where I am now. And it's just been, it's, it's been like a fun, hell of a ride ever since then. And it's been a learning curve ever since. And I just keep learning new things. And I, and I go back to history often to learn new things, which is kind of ironic. Learning about the Gata, <laughs> learning about the Gata and learn about maces and the difference between a mace and a Gata and like Indian clubs and different patterns and new patterns. And Paul, my friend Paul has given me a lot of education on that too, because he's really well schooled with, the, with the, the history behind all those tools. And that just like fires me up and nothing makes me feel better than when I'm, I'm doing a 10 minute, I call it a long cycle. There's a, there's a kettlebell sport is, is a thing where they, it's a different style than, than hard style kettlebell training. It's more long cycle. So they do like 10 minute cycles of an exercise for time. So with Indian clubs, you can also do the same thing. I just call it a long cycle because you do 10 minute patterns and you just try to keep doing new patterns for 10 minutes straight. Mm-hmm. And I wow. love, yeah, at the end of my workouts, I did it yesterday at the end of my, my, my high intensity interval workout. And I'll do it tomorrow again. And I just love, love, love that so much that it's not even funny because I'll do like outward heart shapes. And then my brain sees it. I'm like, oh, let's do inward heart shapes. Let's do alternates. Let's do a hip reel here and then a, a circle two here. And then I just start doing a pattern. And I just go and you just get into a flow. And it's like nothing else in the world exists except what's right in front of you. And it feels so good physically and mentally when you're done. It's nothing even compares. It's amazing. And that's that falling in love with the process that yes, is, is a beautiful thing. Cause that's you're at play. Yes. Absolutely. You're not pushing 220 or even like, yep. I'm going to up this and get six more pushups while that's fun and worthwhile. It's like all of the sensations that are going on and then where your mind goes, like yep. that's it. Yep. Yeah. That's the big ticket. Item. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. Where could people find out more about you? Go to my website, restoreyourfitness.com. And I have an online workout program called My Six Pack Challenge, which you can do right from the comfort of your living room or hotel room, which is based on three-dimensional movement patterns, brain function, cross-body patterns. And for people that don't have a lot of equipment or don't have any equipment, I have some exercises in there with like water jugs, broomsticks, chairs, and things you'll have at home or things you can go to your grocery store and get for 99 cents. Get it. It works. It's great. That is awesome. Check that out. And I'll make sure to leave all that, all the links in the show notes for you guys. Thank you so much, Kevin. I got one more question, actually. Um, When you, when you're inventing like the movement patterns for the Indian clubs and stuff like that, are you like drawing inspiration from somewhere? Or are you just like feeling out what feels like, uh, I guess, powerful or effective? The best way to answer that question is way, way back when I started using Indian clubs, I learned the basics with one arm only. Then I started learning two hands. And then I learned one skill and I would get to a point where I felt I was proficient at that skill. Then I would learn another skill and add to it and practice only that skill. And then when I got to about five skills where I would just practice each one, I then started learning how to blend them all together because there's, there's different ways you can go from an outward heart shape into an inward heart shape. And one of them is called the Indian cross where you're going like this and then you bring your clubs up over your head and you chop them down and then you're going right into an inward heart shape. But you can also just Go like this and then stop dead and then just go right into an inward heart shape this way or stop dead and go that way. So mm-hmm. that's like, there's a continuum. It's like, that would be a basic way to do it. But the fun way and the slicker way and the cooler looking way to do it is doing an Indian, an Indian cross. And the same thing applies with going from an outward heart shape to an inward heart shape. You can do a float out here with your wrists and spin your clubs around the other way. And then you're going the other direction. Mm-hmm. So 
I would learn one skill, practice it, and then I would add another skill, practice it. And when I got to about five, I started trying to blend the skills together. And that's kind of how it works. You build it in layers. <laughs> and then once you figure them out, then you can start getting really fancy and you start practicing like behind the head circle number twos, which are behind your head like this. <laughs> and then you can just sit here and spin this one all day and just do this with the other arm. And then you can do like alternates, hip reels, all these different things. And you just start practicing different things and you start adding them together. And it's like a big monstrous learning curve. And you talk about a hundred years of workouts, you got a thousand years with Indian clubs. You can, you can just like, you can go off once you start learning skills and your body starts memorizing where your hands need to be and everything. It just starts flowing to you. Wow. So I don't really, I never really pre-orchestrate my Indian club workouts. If I'm going to do a 10 minute cycle or something, I know what I'm starting with. And then it's all free. It's freestyle from there on out. And how long have you been training with Indian clubs? Uh, about 10 years. Oh, I got a long road ahead of me. I'm excited. Thank you so much, Kevin. You got me stoked, man. And I hope the audience enjoys it as much as I did. <laughs> I loved it. Thanks a lot, man. I'll talk to yep. you later. Yep. You too. Thanks. Peace. Later. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. Woo! I love getting talk getting to talk to Kevin. I really like his philosophy about fitness and it's amped me up to pursue this movement training through animal flows and Indian club work, maces, throwing some kettlebells around and getting my calisthenics on. Man! And ladies, I'm stoked. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you'd like to learn more about Indian clubs, you can head over to indianclubs.com. Check out Kevin's Instagram at trainer underscore rail and his youtube rail abs and if you'd like links you can find those in the show notes if you'd like to support this episode have, head over to becominghumanpodcast.com drop a comment share it with a friend or an enemy pick up some swag or just rate us on itunes google play stitcher favorite podcast app thank you guys for being there and till next time bye and here's a song by christoph crane called leave the summer
versus a new earth to build. I got an itch for intervention when disease is wild, but prefer a firm connection to preserve my inner child. Enter winter as a sinner, man, forgive the saint night and shining on my first depiction what it's like to sink or swim. It all comes in waves, so concerned with the ending that the moment drifts away. I don't float like I used to, so I refuse to promote self-control if it's suited to abuse you. Let the swing sway sideways, blacked out, set springtime fever free with the breath stretched out, stressed out from the beast that I know something sold. If I find out where it was, I'd say I knew and so I don't, yet I'm grateful when I stop in my tracks and think about what I have instead of falling in that trap again. Just 